Welcome to the Legacy Leaders Podcast. Are you doing the best for your client to help them create their legacy? Are you creating a plan that goes far beyond finances to help people ensure that it becomes the driving force behind all decisions? On this podcast, hosts Katie Beth Hand and Stan Miller will help you with growing your practice and your client's peace of mind. Together, they bring the best and brightest minds to share with you how to help your clients develop their best legacy. And now, here are your hosts, Katie Beth and Stan. Good afternoon. My name is Tim Garrity, and I'm the president of Paragon Capital Partners. And this afternoon, I have the pleasure of interviewing Kevin Moore, an attorney from Pasadena. I'm just going to take some time to read his bio so I get it absolutely correct. Kevin's a third-generation Pasadenian who founded KJM Law Partners in 1992 as a way of investing in his hometown community. The law firm specializes in the focused areas of estate planning, trusts, and probate services, with additional expertise in both domestic and international business transactions and tax planning and tax controversy representation for individuals and companies. There's a lot to unpack there, and Kevin will expand on that. Over the past two decades, Kevin's built a reputation for repeated wins in court on behalf of the firm's clients. Today, KJM Law Partners distinguishes itself from other firms of its stature by providing personalized attention to clients, particularly when it comes to financial matters. Prior to founding the firm, Kevin served as an international business tax attorney with the esteemed law firm Salpius & Partners in Salzburg, Austria. Over the course of his four years with that firm, he represented clients on international and domestic investments. He acquired and broadened his legal skills, helping clients build and protect their wealth. Kevin holds a Master's of Law LLM degree in International Taxation and Business from McGeorge School of Law in Sacramento, a Juris Doctor degree from Western State University in Fullerton, California, and a Business Administration degree in Accounting from San Diego State University School of Accountancy. Kevin frequently serves as a guest speaker and guest lecturer for investment advisors and their clients by sharing his insight and depth on topics relating to estate planning and business taxation. Known for his sponsorship of local youth, high school, and professional sports teams, he's actively involved in giving back to his local community. Kevin, it's great to have you here, and uh, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Tim. Great to be here. Yeah, I'll start with an easy one. Uh, Why did you go to law school? Well, I wanted to be a lawyer ever since, gosh, I was probably 12, 13 years old. I'm probably going to date myself here, but back in the 70s, there was this mini-series called Rich Man, Poor Man. And it was with Nick Nolte before he became famous. He was the poor man, the poor brother. He had the rich brother. I think his name was Robert Strauss. And he became a big miss um, corporate attorney. And that just appealed to me. I mean, I liked the uh, corporate world. I liked uh, dealing with business. I, I liked the clients that I deal with in that. And ever since uh, that series came out, I, I wanted to be a lawyer. So you actually, uh, as you entered undergrad, you had that end goal in mind. Is that right? I did. I did. I didn't know that it would necessarily be accounting. You know, maybe it would have been finance or management, but I took a, an accounting course in my first semester and I got an A at it. And I said, well, I must be a natural. So I, I ended up in the accounting, uh, on the accounting road. Yes. Well, I know quite a few state and trust and tax attorneys, but I don't know that many with a strong accounting background like you. And so as we get into some of our questions, you might be able to, um, let us know how much that helps you and sets you apart from other attorneys. For sure it does. I mean, we will get into it a little bit, but that is the added value I bring to the situation is the uh, strong income 
and business tax background to estate planning, family situations. And then at what point, whether at some point in law school or, or when you got out, did you start focusing really on the estate and, and tax side? So, you know, I kind of took a, a different route than maybe other attorneys, you know, after law school. And I, I did special, I took all my elective courses in taxation and, you know, business and so forth. And then I went off to McGeorge School of Law and I got my master's in tax with an emphasis in international tax. And that took me to Salzburg, Austria, where a portion of the uh, program was held through the University of Salzburg. And I met an attorney there who was teaching one of the classes and he really liked me. And when I finished the program, he offered me a job. So I went out to Salzburg, Austria, where I worked for almost four years with his firm, Eugen Salpius. And, and what I say that was a little bit different than most other attorneys was that I was really focusing on a real narrow area of the law on you know, basically international or taxation, U.S. taxation of non-resident aliens investing into the U.S. So that was pretty exciting, but it was a real narrow niche. You know, ask me at that time how to do a, a family law petition or a bankruptcy petition or, you know, what was a, a civil action versus a probate action. I would have had no idea, right? You know, I was uh, so, so uh, focused in on this real niche area of international tax. So when I came back and I opened up my practice, you know, I really did, you know, a wide variety of things. I did a lot of bankruptcies. I did a lot of business bankruptcies and really developed, you know, a strong business background. You know, you don't do bankruptcies. You don't file chapter 11 bankruptcies unless you've got a business plan, unless, you know, that's going to prevail, that's going to be feasible and really learn a lot about the economics of business through that. You know, I did family law. Granted, it was mostly in the business context with, uh, you know, business type clients. But I did that. And of course, I did my trust and estate planning work. And I just found that over the years, over the, you know, the 10 years or so, my first 10 years of practice, so the, you know, early to early 90s to the 2000s, that I just enjoyed really doing estate planning. I really enjoyed drafting the trusts, creating structures for, for business clients that would meet their particular tax and business needs. I just found it exciting. And I found that with the background that I had, you know, in doing litigation work and doing bankruptcies, even in the family law context, it really kind of um, helped me be a, a, a more or you know, having a broader base background to offer my clients, my estate planning clients. It really added value to the estate planning structures that I would create. Yeah, it seems like so often the the business planning and the estate planning really intersect and Yet oftentimes you have to have multiple attorneys because one may not have the expertise. So it's it's got to be a nice advantage and something that you can really uh, bring to the table having so much experience with both. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And then, you know, it, the same is true with taxation. So during the formative years, you know, I did a lot of uh, partnership taxation and corporate reorganizations, things like that. So when I'm representing my business clients, you know, I know partnership tax. So I know, you know, if I'm going to dissolve a partnership, what it takes to do it on a tax-free basis. If I'm going to reorganize a corporation or spin off some uh, business into a separate corporation, I can do it on a tax-free basis. So that's that's really some added value. And, you know, you said it earlier, and, you know, most estate planners and very good estate planners, they don't have that level of expertise in the, in the income tax area of partnership and corporate tax. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. So what's so important about a state plan for, for some of our listeners who may not be aware of all the components or, or you know, what, what's really important? Well, I mean, look, even for, you know, the client who just has a house and kids, I mean, estate planning is extremely important because you want to provide for those kids. You want to make sure that if the unexpected happens and you pass away and your spouse passes away, that your kids are going to be protected, that, you know, they're not just going to get this property when they're 18 years old, that someone's going to manage that property for them and make sure that it's available for them to pay for their health, education, maintenance, and support related expenses, you know, until they reach an age that they can start handling it on their own. You know, so those are the issues you get in with estate plan at the most basic level, right? Who's going to make legal decisions for those children if they're minors and so forth. And then of course, you know, you have that and even more when you get into the more sophisticated clients who, you know, have large business holdings or real property holdings, you know, now, you know, it's about saving taxes, saving money. Also exit strategies, passing your business on to your children. You know, maybe you have some children who are interested in the business, others who aren't, you know, coming up with solutions to 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 pass that business on to those who are interested in other assets to those who aren't, saving estate taxes, utilizing your exemption. And of course, of all of that, it's protecting assets for your family, preserving wealth. Estate planning, while saving you estate taxes, while saving you income taxes, estate planning, a big part of estate planning encompasses asset protection so that when you give your assets to your children, they're not going to be subject to the claims of their creditors. Uh, They're not going to be included in their marital assets or become community property assets. These are the things that are important with estate planning. Oh, absolutely. I I think we certainly get focused on the technical and the legal, and and yet also it's a way to, in some ways, pass along values and and, and sort of, you can be written in a certain way that you make sure uh, things happen that you want to happen. And it's not just all about the money so much. And we focus on estate taxes, but as we know, a large portion of the United States right now will likely not be subject to the estate tax. And yet what you can do from a planning perspective that has nothing to do with the taxes is pretty crucial, right? Absolutely. Because even if they're, as I said, with with estates that are not subject to estate taxes, I mean, equally important that those assets pass to your children, pass to your loved ones, in a smart, efficient way, avoiding court processes, being sure to name designated persons, uh, expressing values in there, um, in those documents uh, that you want to pass down to your children. I had one client, well, actually I've had several clients, but one in particular that comes to mind that um, his children were to lose a certain amount of their inheritance for every tattoo or uh, body piercing procedure that they went through. <laughs> yeah, that's something that's a little more more prevalent today than 20, 30 years ago. So that's yeah, that's true. That's true. But it, it, it maybe it, it makes more sense today than it did uh, <laughs> uh, prior years. Yeah, and so often I'll be sitting with clients and, and just start general conversations about trusts and wills and things of that nature. And I find there's there's almost always a little confusion. People sometimes have a will, but they don't have a trust. They think they're they're covered. And then I mentioned probate and they wonder what that is. Then if if they know a little bit, I'll also talk about yeah, the importance of, you know, some of the other documents that might be part of that in terms of like of a power of attorney and stuff. So maybe just give us a, you know, little 
30 second or a minute on, on that and also why probate really is not something you want to be a part of? Well, first of all, the probate process is the process by which your estate, your assets are administered in the courts, right? And if you have a will, or even if you don't have a will, you die without a will, your estate is administered through the court process. That court process can be costly. You have to hire a lawyer. The, the fees are set by statute. It's a court process, so it's public information. It's easily accessible to the public. It takes time. I think your average probate in California is nine months. And that's for very basic estates. I mean, if anything more complicated, I mean, you're looking at year, a year and a half, 18 months or even longer. So that's the, that's the probate process. It's going through the process of supervising the administration of your estate and distributing it out. So we find that administration can be best done without court supervision. The courts are always there if you need them. But they don't have to be involved in every aspect of supervising the administration of your estate. So as estate planning attorneys, we look for ways to avoid probate. One of the ways of avoiding probate, and there are several ways, I mean, a joint tenancy. So many husbands and wives will have their properties as joint tenants. That's avoiding probate. Husband dies, wife gets the property without having to go to probate. Issue there is now when the wife dies, right? Unless there's another joint tenancy, right? you have to probate that asset. But just like joint tenancy, another way of avoiding probate is through the use of trusts. So trust is a current document, a living document, a document that takes effect now. And you put assets into that trust. And that trust says that, okay, during my lifetime, this is how the trust is going to be administered. And on my death, this is what's going to happen with my assets. So your successor trustees on your death will come in and they administer the trust without supervision of the court. And that can be done typically on a less costly basis. It's certainly private. There's no documents that are filed with court. There's no documents that get published. And it could be done in a, in a relatively short order. So these trusts, we call these will substitutes. Right? It's a substitute for your will. It acts like your will, but it doesn't have to go through the probate process like your will does. Excellent. Well, that's a good segue. So uh, trust or not, if um, a married couple, one passes away and, and then the other, that there's a whole process. There's a 706, which is a tax form and a state tax return in general. Sometimes those are done by CPAs. Sometimes attorneys, I know you have a real expertise in that area, especially as people have a little bit more complicated wealth. So maybe you could speak on that uh, in general and all, you know, what you bring yeah. to I find it best for, for the attorney to do the estate tax return. That's the form 706 that you were referring to. Many couples, many many decedents don't have to file estate tax returns because their estates aren't large enough. Right? Currently, the exception is $12.92 million. So as a general proposition, if your estate is less than that, you don't have to file an estate tax return. But even if your estate is less than that, your surviving spouse may still want to file an estate tax return because that's how the surviving spouse can claim your unused, your meaning the decedent's unused exemption from estate taxes. Right. Without filing that estate tax return, any portion of the decedent's exemption that's not used is now lost. If the surviving spouse files an estate tax return, that unused portion could be carried over and used by the surviving spouse during his or her life or on his or her death. 
Estate tax returns are much different than income tax returns. 1040s for individuals, 1041s for trusts, corporate returns, partnership returns. I really leave those to the accountants because those are they are the best persons. Uh, they deal with these uh, tax returns on a regular daily basis and require real intricate knowledge, you know, the income tax deductions and how to prepare the numbers on the forms and so forth. And it's in large part a numbers game and, you know, what numbers you're putting on the form. The 706 is radically different from that. Yes, you're putting numbers on the forms, but they're based upon legal concepts. They're based upon concepts of valuation, what kind of values you can use for the assets that you're reporting on the estate tax return, how you can reduce those values. These are legal principles that we employ to to get these lower values, these discounted values. There are also documents that need to be provided with the return, oftentimes legal documents. So as a result, I think it's always best for the attorney, if the attorney specializes in that like I do, it's best for the attorney to to, to file the, the 706 return because they're not just a number cruncher game. It's a lot of legal concepts. And who's better to deal with those legal concepts than the lawyers? Absolutely. And maybe just uh, again, going back a little bit, what made you choose to start your own practice and how has it grown over these many years? So as we alluded to, as I work with um, Dr. Eugen Salpius, by the way, they call lawyers in Aus- in Germany and Austria, they're doctors. Dr. Interesting. So he was Dr. Eugen Salpius, right? He had his JD. So they, they like to use those terminologies. Anyway, he was a big influence on me. Working for his firm for almost four, four years, I was really excited about the way he ran his firm, the mechanics of uh, his firm, dealing with clients, the way he dealt with his clients, the real one-on-one nature of that. So when I uh, came back to the United States, I wanted to emulate that, quite honestly. I really I really liked that. I liked the one-on-one with the clients, dealing with the client in the way that I thought clients should be dealt with. I wanted to operate my clients and provide the service that I wanted to provide those clients, uh, that top-level service. So I really modeled my firm after him. I mean, when I got back, I opened up my own practice right away. I didn't look for another, I didn't look for a job. I knew what I wanted to do. So my practice, even after 30 years now, is in large part modeled upon the law office of Dr. Wigan Salpius in Salzburg. Excellent. Maybe give us a picture of, of how the practice is set up. Now, I know oftentimes on the one end, you have a state attorneys that kind of hang out their shingle like when you started, and it's pretty much them, and they might have a paralegal or half a paralegal. On the other side, sometimes the estate planner is just a silo in a larger firm. So you're a bit unique, I know, in the fact that you've grown a very specialty practice, added some you know specific resources, but uh, maybe just share kind of the scope of things right now. Yeah. So I started out when I opened up my firm, when I got back from Salzburg, I just started out, it was just me. For about a year, I hired my brother. Then a couple of years later, I hired a paralegal or a law clerk, right? Then I went to a paralegal and I, you know, several years later, then I hired an attorney and a paralegal, and then another attorney and another paralegal, and to the point now where I have seven attorneys and I don't know five paralegals and an office manager and a receptionist and uh, office uh, file clerks, and we have a lot of employees now. But it was all slow growth. You know, it was nothing that just you know wasn't like winning a big case. 
right? And did just growing. It wasn't by acquisition. I did, I've never acquired any other practice. I've always just by providing good quality service, being responsive to my clients, communicating with my clients. It's just, it's always grown. I think other than the 2008 year when the market collapsed might've been the only year where I experienced a little bit of decrease, but otherwise I can say in all honesty, yeah, every year in my practice, we've always, there's always been an element of growth. Excellent. Well, then who, uh, who would an ideal client be? What, what does that look like for you and, and your firm in general? So for me, the ideal client is the client who is involved either in a closely held business or a family business and may own real property and may be married and may have children who may or may not be interested in that family business. The reason why that is an ideal client for me is because I can offer a wider range of services for that client. So there would obviously be the estate planning component to that. There would be the business succession component to that. What's going to happen when the patriarch or the matriarch passes away? You know, what is the exit strategy or strategies that are going to be employed as a business? They're going to have business tax issues, whether it be sales tax, income tax issues, corporate issues, corporate compliance, business transactions, the full panoply of services that I could provide to that client that makes that kind of client the ideal client. Absolutely. And as many of us know, those situations are just, you know, kind of growing every year with with baby boomers, you know, trying to retire and their businesses, you know, getting passed on. There's so much in California of, of these types of businesses, closely held, family oriented, but they've gotten quite large and complex. Now they're selling overseas. So that brings in your international component. But but you did touch on one thing that is pretty common from from my seat in that, you know, to the extent there's, you know, one or two children involved, there's often one or two not involved. And that can be a, a really yeah. tricky situation. So maybe, I don't know if you have an example or, or just one way you, you've dealt with that that's kind of worked pretty well. Well, you know, I mean, at a very basic level, but sometimes those are good to use as examples because it's easy to understand. So you have a business that usually a significant part of the client's wealth, and maybe the house, and you don't want to give the house to one child and not to another. So maybe that's kind of off limits and it's going to go to both the children. But one child's involved in the business, the other child's not. And you really don't want to give the business to the child who's not involved and then have them become a shareholder and all the rights that go with being a shareholder. So you may want to leave the business to the one child. But then, of course, that raises the question, well, what about the makeup to the other child now who doesn't get the business? So life insurance can be a, a good strategy in that case, so assuming that 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 that's a possibility that that's available. So get some life insurance that might equate to the value of the business and have the life insurance proceeds go go to the child who's not getting uh, the business. So that would be one example, or there might be other assets in the estate, maybe some rental property or something that can go to the child and so forth. So those are some of the things that you'd be looking at. Yeah, there's a popular show right now called Succession that you could probably do some great work there. Although I don't know if you would like to work with those caliber of, of humans. They don't seem to be fun clients. <laughs> I hate to admit it, but I've heard a lot about Succession, but I have not seen one episode yet. That's okay. Don't get stuck. My uh, my daughter got me hooked and I, I, I watched a season and I had to walk away. It's, just, <laughs> it's a well, time. I, maybe I'm waiting for it so I can binge it, right? There you go. I'm going on vacation in a couple of weeks, so... 
There you go. Yeah. Well, how about other uh, common issues you see cropping up other than business? Anything in the real estate side or, or things that people should be really looking out for and planning that they're not really aware of? Well, yeah, you see a lot of it. I, to this day, it, it still surprises me that a lot of people hold their rental property, their business property in their own name or in the name of their living trust. I mean, it's really real estate 101, basic, basic re- asset protection planning. It should always be L- held in an LLC. So, you know, those are some of the issues that, that, you, that you see frequently. And why is that just for our listeners? Well, because you you now, if, if there's any liability that arises out of that property, then the liability stays with that entity. If it's owned by you, now all of your assets are subject to. Now you might say, and an accountant might say, well, you have insurance to cover that. Well, that's true, but insurance doesn't cover certain things. There's exclusions and so forth, you know, try, you know, water damage or mold, you'll see all kinds of exclusions and insurance policies on that. And someone sues you now for millions of dollars because their child, you know, had lead, eight lead-based paint from the window seal or something like that. So I would, with the LFC, it confines the liability. For sure. And we live in a very litigious society. And if they're just looking for low-hanging fruit and they see a setup where there's LLCs and things, they might just go on to the next uh, next person, hopefully, right? So yeah. <laughs> it's like when you have your sign that you have your uh, security system on your house, you know, maybe they'll just go to the... <laughs> How about like, common misconceptions about planning and trusts and things of that nature? Like I've got one for you, for example, I'll oftentimes yeah. talk to clients and I'll just start talking about legacy planning, estate planning, and sometimes they'll have a family trust, uh, you know, set up a basic one, and they think that would cover tax implications and other things of the estate, but but not always the case, correct? Well, for sure, the misconception with living trusts is that they provide asset protection, and they don't. Uh, let's be absolutely clear, revocable living trust provides no asset protection, at least while the creator, the settlor, the trustor of the trust is alive. Maybe after, not maybe, certainly after that settler dies, you can, if the trust is drafted properly, it can provide asset protection for the spouse, the surviving spouse, or for the children. And we do a lot of that. And we make sure that we utilize those asset protection techniques when, when, when necessary. But that's a big misconception. Oh, I just put it in my living trust, so I can't get sued now. Absolutely. And uh, I know you have clients all over, but I also know that you have a soft spot in your heart for Pasadena. You specifically set up the firm. So yeah, just talk about that. What what makes Pasadena? Well, as you said, I'm a third generation Pasadena. My dad was born here and my great grandfather was born. My grandfather was born here. We're not part of the Pasadena Blue Bloods, all right? But, you know, I am the third generation. My my son's a fourth generation. He was born here in Pasadena, went to schools here in Pasadena. And I just I just always loved Pasadena. It's very Midwestern-like. It's very community-oriented. Community it's it's um, strategically located near downtown LA. You can get to downtown LA and anywhere else in LA that you want without having to live some of the negative parts of uh, LA and other parts of LA. It's just, you know, really a nice secluded area. I love looking out the view of my office right now, the mountains in the background, which kind of reminds me of a, a little story that I always say that when I was in Salzburg, the office that I was in, I had from my office, I had the beautiful view of the what's called the Untersberg. That is a famous mountain in, in Austria. It's absolutely beautiful. But in my humble opinion, it is nothing compared to the majestic, the, the majestic Mount Wilson, which uh, I'm looking yeah. now. 
And even though I was sitting back looking at Deligersberg from my office in Salzburg, I always knew I was going to come back to Pasadena and I was going to have an office with a view of Mount Wilson in the San Gabriel. Absolutely. Well, and if, depending on where people are listening from, they may not know that from parts of November on to March and even April, sometimes snow-capped Mount Wilson. And, yeah, I should look a little bit uh, the other direction. You got Mount Baldy. It's, it's truly spectacular. I love it. I love it. Well, you said the blue bloods of passing, and, and and we are known a little bit because it's uh, sort of old for California, which is not old yeah. to the rest of the country. But indeed, there's a lot going on here. New wealth, right? There's a lot of tech. There's uh, some entertainment folks who have yeah. led the West Side and come over. So uh, not such a sleepy town. In fact, if you drive around, you can see all the townhomes and apartments. It's, it's becoming a you know a place for new people and young people to come as well. It, it absolutely is. There's no doubt that... Um, you know, all of the people who, you know, not so much the actors and uh, the frontline people, but all the producers and the directors, they're not living in Beverly Hills, right? They're living in Pasadena. Yeah, absolutely. Well, this has been great, Kevin. What's the best way for anybody to find you? Um, your website or just call up or? You know, our website tells a lot of our, sto- tells a lot of our story. Uh, it gives all the information that you need to give us uh, a shout. It's KJM Law Partners, Kevin John morelaw.com kjmlaw.com excellent well it's been a pleasure any parting thoughts i you know tim it's always uh great we've known each other for a long time i knew your wife from the pasadena jc's back in the day Uh, member of the pasadena tournament of roses uh just as your wife was and i don't know you're not a member are you i'm not i'm the uh uh, the guy that has to be with the other four kids while she's off working Fascinating, but it's an incredible organization. So anyway, Kevin, this has been fun. Thank you so much. Uh, Really appreciate it and look forward to working with you in the future. Great. Good talking to you, Tim. You too. You've been listening to the Legacy Leaders Podcast with Katie Beth Hand and Stan Miller. For more information on them and the show, please visit PinnacleLegacyLaw.com. If you like what you've learned today, do share the program with your friends and subscribe wherever podcasts are found.